Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. You are awesome, God. What a powerful spirit of, of comfort and warmth and just a powerful presence in the house this morning. I'm very thankful for that. I believe also that there's a powerful spirit of anticipation both here and amongst our congregation this morning, and I am sharing in that today. I'm very excited about some of the things that have transpired recently. And so this morning, before I dive into uh, my message today, I wanted to spend a little bit of time with you and talk to you about uh, some of the questions that have come up, of course. All are now aware that the, uh, the Wisconsin State Supreme Court has overturned the extension of time uh, that we are locked down or under quarantine, safer at home, however you'd like to say it. Some people say prison. Uh, that's okay too. Uh, but that has been shortened. And of course, everything sort of came down very quickly on Thursday and Friday of last week. And uh, so immediately I began reaching out both to leadership and uh, of course, uh, uh, going to God in prayer, considering our church, considering our circumstances. And so I just wanted to share a little bit of the good news with you this morning, uh, clear up any thoughts on that. Thank you for those that called and reached out, uh, had some thoughts on that, very good thoughts. Uh, of course, you know, I sent out a message to the church uh, via email, just uh, stating my position. I received uh, emails and phone calls thanking me for uh, prudence on that, and I, and I appreciate that because I wasn't sure how that was going to be received, and, uh, and so I, I do appreciate the support. There, there's, no, there's no rule book on this whole deal. This is, this is all brand new territory for us and leadership as is, is it is, is with you, and so um, I'm proceeding very cautiously and prayerfully. And so with that being said, the question has come up. I know that in our section right here in, in, uh, in our area and as well as the state, uh, there are some churches that have opened and have received members today. Uh, we have uh, other churches in the country, depending on what state, have been open for some time. Um, but I made the decision uh, to hold off on opening service today one more week at least uh, till I could have a little bit more time in prayer. I sought counsel uh, with our section and district leadership. And then also, I will be meeting tomorrow night with our trustee board, and uh, we're gonna go over some of the details. Now, the reason for that, the reason I did that was simply because of this, because while there's a, a lot of standards that are in place that we'll certainly follow, and, and our first and foremost, our concern, of course, is the safety uh, of, our, of our people, uh, but uh, there are spiritual aspects to this as well, as you probably have already become aware there are very strong opinions uh, about this process and, and there's a, a wide array of opinions and ideas uh, from the very libertarian end uh, where we should just come back to church and go back to normal and, and not be concerned at all about COVID virus. And then there's some that uh, feel that maybe we should stay locked down uh, you know, much longer. And, and so we've got to take into account all of those factors. I know most of you, many that I've spoken to, are just anxious to get back to service. And so what I didn't want to have happen is everybody show up in the house this morning and kind of stand real frozen like this, not knowing what to do. Who can I talk to? Who can I breathe by? Who can I, who can I speak with? Can I, do you want a handshake? Do you want a hug? Don't you? Uh, all of those things. And so we certainly don't want to come back into the house of God at a time that should be of celebration and excitement and have a morgan here of everybody just kind of standing frozen chosen, so to speak. And so uh, I want to avoid that as well. Uh, so we want to be very careful in what we define and, and all the aspects of that. And so that will be clearly communicated to you within the next few days. Um, there is a question as to whether we open on Memorial Day weekend. Many people are going to be gone. Is that going to bring kind of a lull? Is it a great time because there won't be as many in the house? Uh, and so that might be a good way to sort of ramp up into regular services. So we have to consider that as well. Uh, or do we come back, which my original thought and what I had been praying about and planning for, and that was to come back on the day of Pentecost on May 31st is the uh, Pentecost Sunday. And, uh, and my messages over the last uh, few weeks have been leading up to that day and have a purpose in that and will continue to. But uh, all of those things will be taken into consideration. And then finally, the one aspect that I think we all need to be aware of, I shared it with our group here this morning in pre-service prayer, uh, but there's a spiritual side to this. I said to our group that when we inaugurated this uh, live streaming church process that uh, we're storming the gates of the enemy's territory. 
The Bible tells us that the devil is the prince and power of the air. And if you've listened to any kind of radio or watched anything from Hollywood in the last 10 years or more, uh, or, or heard what comes over uh, some of the airwaves on, on internet broadcasts and so forth, you know that that's true. That has been his territory, predominantly owns the secular side of media and so forth. And so on that first weekend when we gathered together with literally tens of thousands of churches across the United States and around the world and stormed the internet for the first time, most of us, broadcasting our uh, live streaming messages of the word of God and worship and praise, we entered the enemy's territory. He is not happy about that. He is not gonna be happy about it as we come back to join together and celebrate and worship together as well. And so we need to be prepared for that. So several days ago, I called on a time of fasting and prayer and worship uh, for the remaining part of the month of May. Please incorporate that in your prayer, that as we come back, there is no fear. We have ultimate victory over fear. The Bible says that perfect love casteth out all fear. And if we gather together in unity, worshiping together, considerate of one another in all our aspects and all the thoughts and concerns related to this process, we will cast out fear. We will come in. We will have an absolute awesome time of worship and praise on whatever day that it is that we come back and God will move in this congregation mightily. And I'm looking forward to that day. It is going to be a celebration. Uh, Sister Angela and I have talked about that a couple of times. I'm probably not going to have an opportunity to preach on that day and I'm okay with that but we'll see what happens. I'll be prepared, but hopefully we just get together, we just start a time of worship, and we just let fly. That's what I'm looking for. Amen. Okay, so uh, I'm going to be meeting with the team tomorrow night, uh, and then once we make a decision, I'm also going to be meeting with Sister Angela, our our music director, in preparation for that uh, service returning, whatever that may be, and then once we have our conversation, uh, I will immediately broadcast our decision Uh, across all platforms, and I'll be available for questions or or calls and so forth. Okay? Does that sound good, everybody? Good. All right. Amen. Why don't we dive into the Word of God this morning? Those in the house, you can remain seated if you'd like. Uh, I'm not going to open with a a scripture this morning, so I'm going to jump out of form uh, just a little bit. But over the last uh, few weeks, I've been taking you on a journey through the book of Acts, uh, the book of the Bible that was the beginning of the Christian church. I've been emphatic about that. I've, I've stressed the aspect of what the book of Acts is, what it represents, why it's so crucially and critically important that as Christians, if we call ourselves Christians, followers of Christ, that we have this thing just ingrained in us. It is the beginning of the church. Jesus, at the end of the Gospels after crucifixion, met with the apostles and the disciples and and ministered and preached in many different ways, and then he ascended, promising to return, and he did that at the beginning of the book of Acts, came back in the form of the Holy Ghost, the Comforter, that powerful explosion that happened on the day of Pentecost at the temple in Jerusalem, and filled all that were there with the Holy Ghost, and began a powerful ministry primarily through the first pastor, the, the, the first minister or leader, which was Peter at that time. And if you remember, I, I explained to you that for the, about the first half of the book of Acts and all that had happened as they began to reach out and more Jews were saved and they became Christians and they were saved multiple times in multiple places throughout those first chapters. Peter was the primary guy. Jerusalem was the center of that activity. And then at that certain point when God's message began to become part of the Gentile message and he calls up a man, a horrific, terrible, horrible man uh, by the name of Saul who persecuted and murdered Christians and, and it was just absolutely the worst possible example of somebody that God could call into ministry. And of course, I've shared with you many times that God has done that uh, thousands and thousands of times over. There's just something about that downtrodden person, that person who's in the worst possible place. He just goes to the extreme and finds that worst soul, that guy that was in prison or that gal that was in the worst possible way in life and raises them up in his spirit, raises them up in anointing and ministry and makes them some of the most amazing, powerful ministers that this work has ever seen. It's a testament that it doesn't matter how bad you are or how far you go or what kind of life that you've lived thus far, where you've been, it does not matter because God can take a filthy, stinking, horrible, horrific, murderous lech like 
Saul and raise him up, knock him off his horse, blind him and speak directly to him and say, I'm calling you into my ministry. I'm directing you. You're going to be a minister to the Gentiles of this world. And of course, we know that Paul became or Saul uh, began being known as his other name, his already prescribed name, his Roman name, Paul, and that uh, he effectively has written most of the New Testament, uh, went out through the remainder of the book of Acts and, and, and established churches and fought fights and he was shipwrecked several times and stoned and beaten and scourged and thrown in prison multiple times, uh, but continued to minister and continued to fight the fight and run the race. And so I'm wrapping up today in, in my message, What's in Your Chapter? The book of Acts is the only book of the Bible that continues, continues to be written even today. Why? Why, pastor, is that true? Because every church, every soul that's been saved, every church that's been established, every person that has received that Christian message, that same message that Peter taught on the day of Pentecost, every soul that has said, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ, it was another chapter written in that book. But today, today, those of us have been around this for a long time, those of us have, have eaten of this fantastic banquet of phenomenal worship and praise and ministry and word, all of this time, we're being called to a mission today. We're being called up. We don't have to be knocked off a horse. We're not living horrible, sinful lives. We've made that journey. We're serving God. But I'm telling you today, the Christian church is being called up to a greater work. There are things that are happening in our world, this COVID virus, just one small thing, believe it or not, among all the things that are happening in our our world today. The walls are closing in on secular society, so to speak, if you will. And it's time. It's time for us to begin to take on that role. Our name needs to be changed. We need to take on the role and write our chapter in the book of Acts. I'm convinced of that. I'll never stop preaching that. God has laid that and instilled it in my heart. I'm going to call out to every Christian soul that knows this word, that knows this life, has lived in the bounty and the blessing and the joy of what it is to live for Jesus Christ, needs to take this call we need to write our chapter some of us already have been some of us are just starting on that journey some of us were writing the book and the chapter and maybe slow down just a little bit that's okay life has a way of doing that to us some wrote their chapter and said I'm done I put my I put my stamp on it God's calling you as well your story's not over you've got breath in your lungs you've got blood flowing through your veins You've got the ability to share this word of God. Your chapter's not done. Folks, we are the book of Acts. We are the book of Acts church. We are the day of Pentecost. We call ourselves Pentecostals not because we're a prescribed religion, that we have some special organization that we think is better than anybody else. If you think the United Pentecostal Church is the only group of people that's going to heaven, you're sadly mistaken. There are wonderful, powerful organizations out there preaching and teaching the truth, the full gospel, full of the Holy Ghost, full of the word of God that are doing great works. Oh, there's a mighty number. 750 million is the estimated number of people who've received the book of Acts message across the world. Three quarters of a billion people. But I'm telling you today, we're it's time to get back to our roots. It's time to get back to the book that's still being written and time to write our chapter. What's going to be written in your chapter? Every one of us, some within amongst us, there's a Paul, there's a Peter, there's a, a Barnabas, an Aquila, Priscilla, a Lydia, uh, and on and on. Within every single one of us, are you willing to dig deep this morning? Are you willing to look inside yourself and say, what is it that God's calling to me to do? What's going to be in my chapter? Am I prepared to take this next step? You know, I've often asked this question to God. I've prayed this question, and I'm off my notes a little bit here, but I just have to say this. As a pastor, as a minister... As you minister to people and you're part of an organization like this and a wonderful church body of excellent, wonderful people, my friends, they're my family. You all are my family. Uh, but I, I talk to God about these things because I see uh, extended family members. I see challenges that go on. I see people that just want to kind of hang to the fringe. They're just, they're almost there, but they're not quite there. They just don't want to give that full commitment. And I say to myself and I pray to God, God, what is that clarion call going to look like? When things are finally coming down, when this, when this world is coming to its final days, whatever that may be, some are believing this is now, some are saying uh, that, that this whole COVID thing was the beginning of the end and, and they live in fear and they talk about revelation and, 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 and all of those things. It very well could be. 
I'm not a prophetic person. I'm not uh, extremely well-versed in revelation and, and, and prophecy, but I've spent quite a bit of time in it, but I'm not prepared to say that yet. But my question is not that. My question is this. What does the clarion call look like? What is it that God's going to say to me to say, Pastor Cordell, this is the word. Tell your church now. Go get your family members. This is the day. This is the word. Now we start. Now we prepare. It's coming now. The clock is now started. It's ticking. What does that clarion call look like? And the answer is, this is it. There is no time. There is no clarion call. Your pastors across this nation, across the world, your pastors are putting out the clarion call right now. Today is the day. Now is the time to begin or continue or continue moving and writing your chapter in the book of Acts. There is no time. There is no going to be some special clarion call. There's not going to be that one day. Soul, if you're out there waiting and you're thinking, well, you know, for right now, I'm just going to hang where I'm at, but I'll get serious down the road a little bit. Well, well, mom and dad are in church and, and they're, they're praying for me, so I'm okay. I'll get serious down the road, but right now, I just want to kind of hang out. I just want to do the things I want to do. I don't want to feel the conviction for how I live, and, and I don't want to get into all that stuff. Church is too confining for me. Uh, the whole religious experience, is, it's not... It, that's conviction. That, that's something that says I don't want to make that full commitment because then I become obliged to it. But I'm telling you today, I'm telling you, there is no clarion call. That's the word that God has given me. There is no special day, no bell ring that's going to happen that says, okay, time to step up, put on your good clothes, time to be a Christian now. That day is today. The time is now. The Bible says that there, we do not know the day or the hour when he will return. The clarion call is going to be that last trump. The trump of God will sound and the dead in Christ will rise first and they that are alive and remain shall meet him in the air. If your name is written in the book of life, you'll go. If you're full of the Holy Ghost, you'll go. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is what will quicken your mortal bodies. That word means to transform. There'll be that period when that sound goes, when that trumpet sounds, these mortal bodies of flesh will be quickened. There'll be a transformation. There'll be nothing left but a pile of clothes on the ground next to somebody who made the decision to hold off for just a little while. Today is the day. we got to write our chapter today. There is no clarion call coming. The clarion call is now. Every Christian church should be a book of Acts church. I don't care what faith you are, what religion you are, what, what, what you prescribe to, excuse me, subscribe to. It doesn't matter if you call yourself a Christian. You're a book of Acts Christian. There was no Christianity before Acts chapter 2. There was Jesus... There were disciples, there were apostles, they were Jews, they were followers of the law, but until that time, there were no Christians. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk today about when that began to become a thing and when Christians actually started meeting on the first day of the week, which in the Jewish format is Sunday, and, and ministering the word. So what's next? What's next? I'm going to just talk a little bit. Now, next week, uh, uh, on the 24th, that's uh, a Memorial Day, hopefully wherever you are, uh, you're here because it's going to be the last message uh, in this series before the day of Pentecost message. It's going to be called the Miracles of Acts. I'm going to talk about, and I've, I've hinted along the way, I've hinted about the miracles perpetrated by the leaders, the disciples as they went, Peter and John and Timothy and Barnabas and Paul, again and again throughout this. See, this book of Acts experience thing, this Christian thing, uh, you know, we've normalized it. The world has normalized Christianity. They've made it sort of this conformed thing. Well, if you're a Christian, you come in, you, you bow your head and you kneel and you say prayers and, and you sing a song and you listen to the word and that's all that normal. And isn't that wonderful? The Christian church began in a series in powerful miracles, healings, people being raised up from the dead, a wonderful things that were happening. What are we defining in miracles? What are we understanding miracles to be? Well, that word in itself for some people draws kind of a, well, that's, that's kind of weird. I don't believe in miracles. Miracles do still happen. We see them every day. We have testimonies across this congregation of amazing, miraculous things. I've testified in my own life, doctors who have to admit that what they saw was a miracle. You know that many, many medical professionals in our society believe in the power of God, the power of prayer, and miraculous healing. They just don't talk about it because they don't want to be made to be weird or strange. 
But I'm here to tell you that the book of Acts, with all the amazing things that were happening, the churches that were being established, the overcoming of the enemy, the constant attacks and everything that Paul went through, the book of Acts is throught. It's full of powerful, amazing miracles. Wherever Paul was ministering, where Peter was ministering, where they were going, was sided with and accompanied with miracles. This needs to be a miracle church. It is a miracle church, but we don't talk about it. We don't testify about it. And I'm telling you folks, there are people out there today who are at their wits end. They've done everything that life can give them to do. They've sought everything they can possibly do to try to find fulfillment, to try to get what it is that they need. They're they're searching and searching and it's not fulfilling them and they're seeking it on other things that aren't fulfilling. Some of those things are harmful. They're looking for a miracle today. They want a church that proclaims the miracles of God. I need a healing. I'll tell you what, there's no atheists in foxholes. I've seen people over the years, many times, hard, stalwart people, not about all this Christian la-la stuff and all this whoop-de-do and holler and, and praise and worship stuff, but come down with a diagnosis of cancer and suddenly they're a prayerful person. It's amazing. I think back to a time when I was a young man growing up at church, and I, I can remember to this day And I'll just say his first name. Many of you won't know. His name is John. Uh, His son was a friend of mine. His wife was was faithful in the church. And John would never, barely ever come. He was an Easter and Christmas type of a guy, right? And he would come and he'd very standoffish and very stalwart. Now, I don't get into all of this, uh, you know, praise and worship stuff. Very stalwart guy. And I remember one day, the word came down, lung cancer. He was a smoker. And suddenly, John appeared at church. Again and again and again, getting weaker and weaker. Sister Angela, maybe you know who I'm talking about. You remember, you were there when we were young. We were teenagers. And I remember watching him come into the church and walk down the aisle. By this time, he had a cane in his hand. The the, the cancer had ravaged his body so desperately. And now he knows that his demise is imminent. And he's walking down the aisle with a cane coming to the altar, a place he would never go to before, to stand there and worship and plead and beg God to heal him. Suddenly he believed in miracles. Suddenly he believed in the healing power of Jesus. Unfortunately, unfortunately it it didn't work. And I don't know if it was too late, it wasn't in God's will to heal him, it wasn't the case, but we lost him. Let's not get anybody, let's not have anybody be so far down the road that that's when they decide they believe in miracles. Let's share those testimonies. Let's be about the book of Acts, a true book of Acts Christian church. I believe in miracles. I've witnessed them before my eyes. I've seen the power. Now, some people might say, well, man, you're crazy. You're talking about raising people up from the dead. I don't know. I'm going to believe it when it happens, and I'm going to believe that God can do it because I worship a God that can do anything. So if you're going to shame me for believing that God raised somebody from the dead, we have testament. We have testimony of that very thing happening with people within our fellowship. You better believe that I believe that God can raise people from the dead. But do you think I'm more concerned about people coming up from the dead than they are from from, from people walking in those doors and giving their life over to God after living a life completely defiant of anything Christian? That's the miracle that I'm looking for. I'm looking for the miracle when the soul comes down and said, I've been trying to quit smoking my entire life. I can't do it. Pastor, pray for me. And God delivers them from an addiction to, to cigarettes or alcohol or drugs or pornography or whatever it is that they're dealing with that's the miracles that I'm looking for that's the ones that we see but we don't talk well enough about what if we could share that testimony with enough people come down to this altar have faith we'll pray for you and God will deliver you I've watched people I prayed over a man who God filled him with a holy ghost he took the pack of cigarettes out of his hand threw him down on the altar and he's never smoked a cigarette since then God can overcome a nicotine addiction God God can fill that space in your life with something else, something that's lasting, the waters that never dry up. 
Last week I spoke to you, I was just recapping the end of Acts chapter 19. Again, speaking of the miracles of Paul, I'm just going to recap very quickly as we go through. I'm not going to keep you uh, uh, too long today because of my announcement. Acts chapter 19, 11 and 12, the Bible says that where Paul was ministering, it says, and God wrought special miracles. Special miracles. Now, there's run-of-the-mill miracles, and apparently there are special miracles. You know why they were special? It says, by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs and aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Special miracles. Paul wasn't even there. Paul was so anointed by God, was so full of faith, was such a powerful minister. Again, this is Saul, the murderer of Christians, was so anointed and powerful uh, by God that all they had to do was take pieces of his clothing and travel off and hand it to somebody and they were being healed of diseases and evil spirits were being cast out of them. What do evil spirits look like in today's world? That draws up a lot of Hollywood type stuff of devils and things and all this stuff and and of course that most of that and Hollywood gets it you know sort of right but there are those things there are devils and demons there's horrible uh, afflictions like that that have happened and do happen in our world but in many ways maybe it's that rage that you can't get under control that's a spirit that's a spiritual uh, attack within somebody you know somebody that deals with that type of thing or depression depression is a spirit and so we don't have to always conjure up these ideas of, of red horn, pitchfork, carrying. They're there. But they come in a form that we're familiar with and we're comfortable with, like depression and rage, anger, greed, envy. Those are spirits. And so just by Paul's clothing being delivered to those folks, they were healed of those things and cast out. Later on in those verses 13 through 16, we find out of a Jewish chief priest. His name is Sceva. He's got seven sons. Many of you are familiar with this. They see what's going on. Now, this is a careful lesson that we need to understand. They see what's happening. They see what Paul has, and and they try to do the same thing. What was the difference between the seven sons of Sceva and Paul? They weren't full of the Holy Ghost. They hadn't bought into this message yet. They, they hadn't done what it took to follow God, to follow his message. Uh, they weren't part of the group uh, uh, simply obeying the, the scripture, obeying Peter and what Paul was teaching. And the Spirit says that, uh, the Spirit speaks out uh, to them and says, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. Who are you? Folks, I don't, I don't want that to ever happen to any of us. If we're praying over somebody, something happened like that happens, I don't, I don't want the enemy to be able to look at me and say, well, who are you? I want them to know. And when we pray in the Spirit, when we shout in the Spirit, when we worship in the Spirit, when we come back into this place, I don't want a morgue of frozen chosen. I want some people that are willing to walk in the door and raise their voice, lift up their voices, sing hallelujah, sing the praises, worship and pray in the Spirit. That's what we need in this place because I don't want the enemy to look at you and say, Jesus, I know, Paul, I know, Pastor Kylie, I know, Pastor Cordell, I know, but who are you? I want you to have that power. I want you to have that ability to stand with somebody and say, brother, friend, I know you're challenged with that addiction. I know you're challenged with that that anger problem or whatever it may be. Let's get to that altar and pray. And if we pray in Jesus' name and you believe, God will deliver you of those spirits. And that spirit of anger is going to say, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, and I know you, and I'm out. And we got to believe that today. That's the church of Acts. So they attempted this thing after the spirit talked to them. The spirits leapt out of the people and on to the sons of Sceva and they prevailed and beat them. Fear fell across the city and they believed. And so when that happened, that blew up in the city, the people went and got their demonic books and their books of magic and all that junk and came and burned it and gave themselves to Jesus. The final part of Acts chapter 19, 
Uh, I'll just go through very quickly. They're in Ephesus. Now, I want you to understand that Ephesus, of all the churches that Paul established, many scholars, many Bible scholars, many pastors and ministers believe that Ephesus is really the truest uh, model. It's, it's really most like the modern Christian Acts church today. That's sort of like our sister church, if you, if you want to look at it that way. Some people disagree. That's okay. But, but many believe that Ephesus is sort of our mirror to today. Okay? And so Paul is there. Now, Ephesus is, 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 is is in, uh, just enraptured with the goddess Diana. She's a sex goddess, pardon, pardon the term, but that's, that's true. It, it's all about uh, erotic uh, intimacy, and, and, and that's what she represents. The statues are very quite predominantly, you, you get it, they, what they represent. And so there's this guy named Demetrius. He's a silversmith. He, people make money off of this. There's money changing that's happening. Do you know today that in this world today, there are people who ex- exist exclusively in some religious format just to make money? Millions of dollars living in massive mansions. It's all about money. Don't change my doctrine. Don't come in and challenge this. Don't take people away because I make money off of those people. And so Diana had, a, had a, an enormous temple there. It's one of the seven wonders of the world, as a matter of fact. There, they discovered uh, many of it in the, in the, the mid-1800s. Uh, a massive building, uh, enormous. And it, there were banking and commerce was done there. But, but these guys would, would make shrines out of silver and they would sell this, this, Di, this Diana stuff. And so here comes this guy, Paul, and he's preaching against this stuff, preaching a, a, about God. She's a false god. Um, and, and so uh, the people began to follow Paul and listen to his message and receive it. So they were turning their backs on this false religion, this monetary religion, and and these guys didn't like it. So a riot breaks out in the city, and people begin to gather together, and they're called into the theater there in in Ephesus, and and a Jew named Alexander tries to tell, show the Jews, show them that not all the Jews are with this guy, Paul, where, you know, there's there's Romans in this city, excuse me, there's Greeks in this city, and and so they're trying to explain to them uh, that that not all Jews are with this guy, and so a, a, a cacophony rises up in the city, and the crowd is there in the theater, and they're confused, half of them don't even know why they're there. But a mob had come against this movement. Folks, we're going to have those challenges. We're going to have people come against. They're going to continue to say, oh, you're heretics. You're not doing the right thing. We are prescribing every word of the word of God. We're not leaving out. We're not adding to. We're going back to the book of Acts, every word. Well, that's foolish. You don't need to do that. That was for yesterday. That's not important today. Yeah, you say that, but this is the church. This is the movement. That's the book where the miracles are happening, and they're happening today. I've told you before, I've encountered many people who've wanted to take things away from what I do. Oh, you don't need to do that anymore. You don't need to do that anymore. All you have to do is believe, etc. And my challenge has been this. Send me one person who can point out and say, son, there's what you're not doing in the Bible. Oh, you forgot this point. Never in my 38 years in ministry in the church has anybody ever pointed out something we weren't doing. They always wanted to take away. Always. Every time. That's a work of the enemy. The enemy wants to delude this thing. The Bible says if you put, take away or put, add to it, you're cursed. You can't do that. You've got to take it all. The Bible says if you, if you take part of it, you're, you're guilty of the law. You've got to have all of it. And so they're in this great theater, and the crowd begins to chant, Great is Diana of the, the Ephesians. They chanted that for two hours, worshiping Diana. For two hours, just chanting, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Well, we can do that. Man, a Packer game lasts three hours. Brewer game's about three hours. Bucks game's about two. We're pretty good at that. We can worship stuff, and that's okay. As long as you don't worship that above God, and it's not really worship, you can be a fan, right? But I'll tell you what, some people, you can't get one word out of them to shout one word about Jesus Christ. You can't get them to raise their voice one time. And my word says, my Bible says, Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Shout unto God for the victory. That's a problem that we have. See, church has been normalized. We've been told you go to church and you're quiet and you bow your head and you say your prayers and you sing your nice song, you shake a few hands and you go on and have your lunch and your ham sandwich. That's not the church I want to belong to. That's not the church of Acts. The church of Acts is a shouting church. It's a praising church. It's a lift up your voice church. So the crowd is getting out of hand and a city clerk comes in and says, okay, break this thing up. And Paul is saved by a city clerk in the city of Ephesus and the crowd disassembles. This chapter teaches us a critical lesson 
even for today. When disciples have real revival, society gets a real revolution. And the enemy gets fired up too. And we need to be prepared for that. In the 20th chapter, I'm just going to go through these rather quickly, and I'm getting to a point as we wrap through. It was my intention, it was my, my purpose to take you through a journey of this entire book, the most neglected book of Scripture, as I've encountered other people that I've ministered and talked to and shared and asked me questions about the Bible. And it, was just, it was remarkable to me over the years how many people hadn't even heard of the book of Acts, how many people hadn't read it, never heard it preached out of. It never was part of their deal. They know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they know Romans and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Galatians and, and all the, uh, the epistles. They know the book of Revelation, but what they don't know is the book of Acts. And it always surprised me. It shocked me. And I wanted to take you through this journey. I'm laying groundwork. I'm laying a foundation for where we're going from this day forward. In Acts chapter 20, Paul travels from Ephesus through Greece and Macedonia to Troas, which is essentially modern-day Turkey. Um, there's more miracles that he portrays. He actually, while he's there in Troas, he preaches a six-hour-long message. Well, I can't wait to do that. I'm kidding. I would never do that. Some people are like, well, it feels like six hours, Brother Cordo. Um, he preaches a six-hour message. It's on the first day of the week. It's on Sunday. Now, they're in the evening, the way the word is written and the way, if you read through the word, it's in the evening and he preaches on into the morning, six hours. But this is where we see the first sight of a tradition of gathering on Sunday uh, with the word to fellowship. And a young man named Eutychus falls asleep. He's up in a balcony and he falls asleep. Now, what they figure is, is that there's all these oil lamps going and it's very hot uh, at this time of the year and, and all of that vapor and all that stuff. And he's up in a balcony, probably lost oxygen and passed out and he falls and he dies. Paul immediately, in total faith, knew exactly what to do. The Bible says he, he jumped on him, basically prayed over him, and looked at the people and instantly declared his life is still in him. Another miracle portrayed by the Apostle Paul. Now, he speaks, uh, he travels uh, to a place called Miletus from there. He sends to Ephesus for the elders. Uh, he doesn't want to go back to Ephesus because he knows if he goes back there, he's not getting out quickly. And he's trying to get to Jerusalem. Paul is also gathering dollars. He's, he's, he's trying to raise funds for this struggling church in Jerusalem. They're under oppression and they need help. And, and so he's trying to get back there. And so he goes to a place called Miletus and he sends to Ephesus for the elders. He, Paul at this point now is aware he's going to die. He's got a death sentence on him. He's stirring up everybody. See, this message that he's teaching is rocking people's worlds. It's changing their theology. The goddess Diana worshipers are after him, and the Sanhedrin is after him. And so Paul has got himself basically a bounty on him, if you really think of it that way. And so he's wanting to get back to Jerusalem with these funds and he meets with these leaders from Ephesus and, and, and he just recounts his time with them and I really encourage a reading of this chapter because he talks again about his ministry to them, his expectations, the word of God. Uh, he wanted to remind them that he was, he was always an example in the word that he was preaching and I think that's so critical. He was always ministering the gospel. He was never looking for popularity. Paul never talked about himself. He never lifted himself up. He always talked about the miracles that God wrought, the things that God did and he was reminding the Ephesians of that. Well, why? Because he wants the Ephesians to pick this mantle up. He wants the Ephesians, remember I said we're the Ephesian, modern Ephesian church, I believe that. He wants the Ephesian church to understand his role and model to them how they should be as ministers to their world. And so he recounts all of that to them. And then Paul tells them later on in the chapter of his future waiting for him at Jerusalem, he believes he's going to die. Listen to the power, the conviction, and the courage in Paul's message to them in verse 22 through 24. It says, and see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Everywhere he'd gone, People are speaking to him a word of knowledge through the Holy Ghost or he's receiving it himself that chains and tribulations await him. And you can find that in scripture. You can read it. People are warning him and telling him. But he says, but none of these things move me. You can threaten me. You can tell me what my demise is, but none of it's going to stop me. He says, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy 
and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Powerful conviction. Unbelievable courage. He knew he was facing certain doom. Now from that point, it actually would be many years before he died, but he was declaring that what he was doing was worth dying for. It's worth dying for. It's worth losing relationships that just don't want to be around you anymore because you're a Christian or because you're weird or because you bring conviction to them. It's worth dying and losing for. Do we understand that? Paul's modeling it for us. Listen to the words of of the great Charles Spurgeon. I love this passage. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He said, yet there used to be a gospel in the world which consisted of facts which Christians never questioned. There was once in the church a gospel which believers hugged to their hearts as if it were their soul's life. There used to be a gospel in the world which provoked enthusiasm and commanded sacrifice. Tens of thousands have met together to hear this gospel at peril of their lives. Men, to the teeth of tyrants, have proclaimed it and have suffered the loss of all things and gone to prison and to death for it, singing psalms all the while. Is there not such a gospel remaining? The gospel that I know is worth all of that. Are we prepared? Are we prepared to be a Book of Acts church? What are you going to write in your chapter? In the remaining verses through verse 38, Paul ministers to the elders. He warns them to tend to the flock and and beware of ravenous wolves coming in. He starts talking about all these things that are going to come against the church uh, to try to tear it up, to ravenous wolves that will come in and steal some. Uh, he said that they'll, they'll rise up in your midst, uh, people that will pervert the gospel for their own gain. In their own midst, he prepared them to let them know that there would be people that would try to disrupt this work, break it up. Powerful insight. In Acts chapter 21, another amazing example, and Paul's giving to us as well, he literally mirrors the path of Jesus. He's continuing his evangelistic journey on the way to Jerusalem, a very similar path to Jesus. He's got disciples with him. He's journeying there, knowing that he's gonna die. He continues to receive warnings about Jerusalem, spoken through the Holy Ghost, and others prophesying. Uh, For example, it says that, thus says the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, a man is speaking to him, says, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind them man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Guy takes his belt and he's just holding it and and pleading with them. Paul answered, says, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? What an interesting response. He's talking to this man. Why are you weeping and breaking my heart, telling me this? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. We have people that argue in in Christian faith over titles and the name and the use of the name. And we, we we have places in secular society that tell us, don't say the name. Pastor Kylie one time as a, as a, um, uh, working with the police department as a chaplain was called up before a group of chaplains from the area. He wanted to say a prayer. They literally approached him and said, don't say in the name of Jesus Christ. We don't, that, that doesn't, people don't like that. Just, you can say in the titles or, or you can just say amen, but don't preach in the name of Jesus. They literally told him that. A group of chaplains, Christian men in the police department. Paul says, but I'm ready to die for the name of Jesus. It's printed on me, folks. It's ever in my mouth. I don't go a day without lifting up the name of Jesus, saying Jesus, proclaiming the name of Jesus, submitting to the name of Jesus. So Paul comes back to Jerusalem. He shares all the good works of God of the Gentiles. He, he learns he's got a bad reputation. There's been a lot of gossip. Uh, they, they say he tells people to reject Moses and the law. This is what they're passing around. He, they're, they're trashing him uh, to the leadership there. Uh, he's, he's not doing right. He's not doing well. So the leaders talk to Paul and, and they convince him to go do this purification rite, sacrifice an animal and do something, something that looks Jewy. 
so to speak, is what they were trying to get him to do. They wanted, they wanted him to do something public so that it looked like he was still Jewish and, and believing the law, okay? And so it was a little bit of a political move, and Paul did it because he's still a Jew. He still, this was an honoring thing. Now, he wasn't replacing the, the, the sacrifice and the message that was taught at Acts, uh, the repentance, the baptism in Jesus' name. He wasn't going back to the old law. This was a purification rite. It was something completely different, a special offering. And so, Anyway, despite all of that, the Jews from Asia stir up a mob anyway. They get a riot going, uh, just like what happened with Jesus. The mob comes against him. Kill him, kill him. They say, this guy shouldn't even be willing to live. They grab Paul and they dragged him out of the temple. They accused him of preaching against the law and the temple. Just a false accusation. Don't be surprised when the religious accuse you of heresy and false doctrine. I've had it thrown in my face. I've shown people right in the word of God. Here it is. It's in the Bible. Same KG version, your work. I, I went to a Bible store. I bought the Bible. It's the same one you can go buy. The same one they've been printing for centuries. This is what it says. And I was accused of false doctrine. The more truth you reveal in this book, the more the religious or secular will accuse you of preaching false doctrine. So the Roman soldiers, ironically, rescue Paul kind of like Pontius Pilate did or attempted to when he said that Jesus was guilty of nothing. He washed his hands of it. The Roman soldiers said this guy didn't do anything wrong. The people cry for Paul's death anyway, just like, just like Jesus. And I guarantee you that Paul was happy to model the life of his Lord and Savior, as I know you are as well. Paul's back at Jerusalem. He preaches his sermon, very famous in Acts chapter 22 crowd is rioting again he's scourged and now from now until the end of the, the book of Acts he's essentially in Roman custody he's imprisoned but he keeps on preaching, keeps on teaching he's writing he's not freed until later but he just keeps on going he's very clever in using his Roman citizenship as a defense uh, he, he, he's, they, they call for a scourging for him, he's, he's a Roman, I was a Roman citizen and if you lied that time about something as, as powerful as that as being a citizen, it, it was worthy of death. And so they knew he was telling the truth when he declared he was a citizen. They didn't even question him. No one would do that because if they went and found out and they checked their records, he would have been immediately killed. And so uh, he's very clever in that process as he's preaching to the Romans and teaching um, the commander that was in charge of that troop that had, that had, him, uh, that had bound him was actually afraid because there's laws and there were specific protections that were available for Paul for being a citizen. As I was reading and studying this portion in Acts 22, it just kind of made me think of America today and the people that are crying out about our rights being uh, uh, safer at home and the extension and some of the governors that, that appear to have overreached and, and all of these things happen and people are declaring their citizenship. I'm, a, I'm an American citizen, I have rights and, and this is, an, you know, this is a, an infringement of my rights and, and I believe in many cases and there's quite a few cases, they're exactly right, they're correct. We need to understand that our rights as citizens are under attack, especially as Christians. Now, you may not see it overtly in public society. You may look at some of the things you see in the news and say, well, that's just kind of a stretch or, or that's just inflammatory or it's an exaggeration. But I guarantee you, just as Paul was experiencing in these cities, there are factors, there are people, there are ravenous wolves, there are those that would defile this word, there are those that would take our rights away. There are organizations in place, by the way, there's a motorcycle gang driving by right now. I gotta wait a second, it's very loud. Um, there are organizations in place that are designed and defined for the purpose of taking away the rights of Christian churches, taking away our, our uh, tax exempt status and, and uh, uh, enforcing rules upon us and disallowing certain things. Uh, it, it's in place. And make no mistake, the further we go in time, the more it's gonna reveal itself. In Acts 24 and 25 are the, the trials of Paul before the governors. Um, Paul is appealing now to see Nero. Now, Caesar Nero at the time is the ruler in Rome, and of course, you, you all think of Nero as the guy that, that burned Rome, and he was crazy, and he murdered Christians. Well, that was true. The first five years of Nero's reign, Nero was actually a pretty decent guy. He was a pretty good ruler until he became corrupted and uh, became very evil. In Acts 26, Paul gets to testify of Christ to the highest levels as he's sent to Rome and is appealing to meet Caesar. 
Uh, so he's talking to governors, he's talking to Herod Agrippa, Felix the governor, Festus, another governor that takes Felix's place. Uh, this is the opportunity that God will give to this day right now. We have people, we have people of our fellowship who are on staff in the White House, the United States government, and talk with and engage with the president. Ministers from our congregation, ministers from our area right here have been in the White House, met with the president and the vice president. The president is a man who supports the Christian movement. He is, you can have whatever view or whatever opinion you have of him, that, that doesn't matter. God used heathen kings in the Bible, Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus and so on. Uh, that's a whole nother message. But I'm telling you that God has allowed Christian influence at the highest levels of government in our country right now. And I'm very thankful for that. In Acts chapter 27 is the, shikwe, excuse me, the shipwreck on the way to Rome. The crew was hopeless. Uh, sometimes they just give up. Everything around them was coming apart. This, they were having a hard time figuring out what they were going to do in this boat as the storms came and, and the crew became hopeless and as well as the passengers. There was a couple hundred people on board this ship and, and I sometimes, as again, I was studying God speaking. That's, that's people today. People are hopeless. They're scared. This, this ship that we're on called the United States of America is quaking and shaking and changing. Uh, Joe Biden said the other day that he wants to be a part of a fundamental transformation transformation of America. Some people fear those words. What does that mean? There are people, again, that are trying to take the, change the fundamental aspect of our nation. And so people are hopeless in some cases. I see it on Facebook. I see it in the news. I hear people talking. People are becoming hopeless. This thing's falling apart. We're losing America. That's their, their, their worship. That's their, their thing is America. America is a wonderful thing. It's a gift from God. We should honor our nation. We should be good in civics. We should vote and pray for our country and pray for our leaders, but the United States of America is not our God. I know that's revolutionary, and I know I'm probably making somebody angry, but please understand, I love America. I'm an American patriot. I'm standing here in front of the American flag. Don't get me wrong. It's important that we are good stewards of this great gift, this great nation that God gave us. But if you're losing hope, if you're hopelessness, if you're finding yourself in disparity over the, the, what's happening with the country to the point where it's affecting you personally, you've lost sight of the power of God. That's not an Acts chapter 2 mentality. That's not an Acts church mentality to have. I'm pleading with you as my brothers and sisters in the Lord, please don't get so wrapped up in what's happening with political movements and what's happening with this country that you lose sight of the one who's really in charge. We've got to keep that in mind. Don't become despondent or hopeless. That's a spiritual attack, by the way. I'm going to come against that in future messages and future times. When we get back and pray and worship, we're going to be attacking that very issue. And we're going to show you and encourage you to help those that are around you in your family, people that you're ministering to, to attack that very issue. Because the news media and I will say this, if I can be just slightly political, the news media in this country, the mainstream media, is an enemy of the United States of America. And the land that we know, and the government that we know, and the life that we know that God brought here through our founding fathers. They are not our friends. Journalism is dead in this country. They are punditry for one side of the aisle or the other. You can make that determination. But they're harming people. They're hurting people. The fear-mongering and the hatred and the anger that comes through that mess. And we're going to help people through that process. All right, enough of that. Please forgive me, but I felt I needed to say it. So Paul encourages the, to, to tell the crew to take heart. Paul tells the crew of his evangel, uh, the angel that visited him and said he's going to be okay. See, God had spoken to Paul already and said that you're going, to, you're going to Rome. You're going to be facing these governors. He already promised them. You're not going to die here in prison. You're not going to be scourged. And so he shared that message with them. That's what we need to do. We need to share that promise. We need to share that message. It says, don't, don't look at just what you see on your TV, on, on CNN or whatever, MSNBC or whatever it is. Don't just look at that and determine that's your fate. We've got to make sure that they know that there's a special message that we've been given. There's, there's a message in the word of God. There's a promise that's coming that they can partake of. See, we had the angelic visit. We had that powerful visit from God, right? We've, we've got that message instilled in us, filled with the Holy Ghost and, and, and baptized in his name. 
Paul says to them, for there stood by me this night an angel of the, of, the God, excuse me, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, do not be afraid. Paul, you must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told to me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Of course, they land on Malta. Everyone believes them. They get out there, and that's their next step. And I'm wrapping up with this. Those of you who'd like to stand, we can get our music going in the house this morning as we begin to wrap. Acts chapter 28 is the last chapter of this book. Some of you are probably thinking, thank goodness. Tells the story of Paul on Malta, the famous account where he reaches into, he's, create, he's, he's starting a fire and he, a viper comes out and bites him in the hand and they think he's, he's a murderer or someone terrible because this thing happened, uh, the islanders, and, and then the, the, of course the snake falls off and Paul is good, he's healed. Um, the leader of the tribe there, a man named Publius, his father is, is uh, um, uh, ill and they call him in, he's got a fever and dysentery it says in the word and Paul goes and prays over them and he's healed. So when that happened, it says, so when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. See, that one event, that one special event could spill out into many, many people and broadcast across our communities. We need to be aware of that. Paul does eventually end up in Rome. The Jewish community in Rome hears his message but many are turned away. Many are divided because of the, the, how hard and ingrained their message is in them, uh, how attached they are to the Jewish Sanhedrin and the rulers who will not allow them to hear this message. And Paul uh, preaches to them and, and, and cites uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, 9 through 10, and he, he, re, he recounts it back to them. And he says, So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our father saying, go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their ears they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. That was Isaiah, a prophecy, and Paul was recounting it. He was basically saying, this is you. You've closed your ears, you've closed your hearts, you're unwilling to listen, just as Isaiah prophesied. I hope that there's no one hearing this message today and heard these words, and I've gone quickly through. I'm always willing to share, spend some time over the phone, over the internet, I can share the word of God with you. I'm always open to a Bible study. I'm happy to teach. I'm a, I can answer questions. But I plead with you today, don't close your ears to this word. Don't close your heart. Don't dull your heart to the word that's in the book of Acts. It's critically important. Every Christian church should be a Christian, should be a book of Acts church. Paul eventually met with Nero. You can get into the book there, the remaining of chapter 22. Many of you know his demise, but it seems likely that Paul was acquitted of the charges and by most estimates was free for another four or five years until he was arrested again. He was imprisoned and by this time Nero had turned. He'd condemned him to death and he executed him in Rome in about AD 66 or 67. And that was just the beginning for the great apostle Paul because his writings did go out. He ministered to many churches Thousands upon thousands upon thousands have been saved, been affected. To this day, today, people are impacted by the powerful words of Paul throughout the epistles because of the work that he did in the book of Acts and the work of Peter and Paul, excuse me, Peter and, and John and Barnabas and Timothy. I encourage you today, think about that book of Acts. Think about that role. The Bible says that in order to truly fulfill his word, we need to repent. Turn away from the ways that we were when we weren't serving God. Going to church a couple times a year on Christmas and Easter doesn't do it. Saying Christian-y words, playing a little Christian radio in your home doesn't make you a Christian. It's something that has to be lived and worshipped and ministered. It 
has to be the center of your life. Then the Bible says that we're to be baptized in his name for the remission of our sins. Those sins that we repent of have to be washed off this body. That old body's got to be buried in the waters of baptism. It's got to go down. That corpse has to die. It's got to go into the waters so that you can come out and mirror the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that as we're buried with him in baptism, so shall we follow his resurrection. Well, that like model. And so if you want to be resurrected, if you want that promise of heaven, if you're living in fear today of what's going to happen, there's no better way to take courage and feel that you're on the right track and know that you follow the word of God. My phone is always on. The church will be open soon. Hopefully we'll see many of your faces and be able to share more of this word with you in Jesus' name. Worship with us as we stand and pray together today in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you, God, again for the opportunity to share your word. Thank you for the book of Acts, this great phenomenal explosion of power and and, and amazing miracles and what a tremendous story. These great leaders that laid the groundwork, sacrificed themselves for us that we could have the truth and have it always in our hands, right here in our hands in your word, God. Tonight I pray a prayer across this broadcast that every soul that's heard these words today that the seeds have been planted they're taking root God that they're they're feeling a draw from your spirit that you're reaching out to them that you're calling them saying yes this is truth you need to look further you need to you need to find this man you need to find this church you need to find this word there's more for you than what you may have known thus far in Jesus name in Jesus name thank you for listening to this abundant life church podcast We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at AbundantLifeChurch.org.